Get ready for an all-new season of 4.30 Movie debuting this October with some exciting new theme weeks curated by your favorite 4.30 Movie hosts. Yes, the 4.30 Movie is back, and we hope you will be too. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman, and if you're a Star Trek fan, you should check out my new science fiction TV show, Pandora, airing every Tuesday on The CW or anytime on The CW app. Check it out. If you're a fan of the 430 movie, you'll love Best Movies Never Made, hosted by myself, Josh Miller. And Steven Scarlatta. Where we explore some of the greatest movies never made, like E.T. 2. Johnny Quest. Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian. And Halloween 3D. New episodes available every other Monday, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman, co-host of Inglorious Trexperts. If you're a Star Trek fan who thinks you know everything about the history of Star Trek, check out my best-selling two-volume oral history of Star Trek from St. Martin's Press, The 50-Year Mission, available wherever books, digital, and audiobooks are sold. Hey, I'm Mark A. Altman. And I'm Darren Docterman, and we are the Inglorious Trexperts. Beginning summer 1997, you're invited to engage your senses, transport your spirit, and boldly go where no one has gone before. The 24th century is coming to the Las Vegas Hilton. In conjunction with Paramount Parks, construction has begun on the galaxy's most exciting destination. Star Trek The Experience. For the first time, you will actually be able to see, feel, touch, and live the 24th century world of Star Trek, the most popular space adventure ever created. Beaming aboard the bridge of the Enterprise, you'll embark on an adventure through space and through time. On board a Starfleet shuttlecraft, you'll become a part of the warp speed action. Your destination is the alien-built outpost Deep Space Nine. There, the fun continues on the promenade with the galaxy's finest dining, a universe of shopping for every taste, and your chance to enjoy tomorrow's most amazing games today. Make your plans to be among the first in the galaxy to beam up to 24th century adventure. Star Trek The Experience. Only at the Las Vegas Hilton. Stardate, summer 1997. Oh, and today we're going somewhere very exciting. <laughs> we're going into the future and the past. We're going to Vegas, baby, Vegas. <laughs> and what happens in Vegas doesn't stay there because we have a show where we're going to talk about it. <laughs> and uh, we have some great guests. Uh, once again, uh, on loan for the Burnett work uh, here to uh, extend his very own observations is uh, Mr. <laughs> Robert Meyer Burnett. Welcome back, Rob. Once again, it's great here. Great to be with you guys. And uh, in case you hadn't guessed, uh, today we're going to be talking about uh, the late lamented uh, Star Trek The Experience in, uh, at the Las Vegas Hilton, something that gave us many, many hours of enjoyment. Uh, Both of which actually don't exist anymore as they, as they were, certainly. It was also the White House and Diamonds Are Forever, but <laughs> that's, that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> Baja. Uh, Baja. <laughs> I don't have a play in Baja. But, um, 
uh, one of one of the uh, original designers for Landmark of the Las Vegas um, Star Trek experience, as well as now currently uh, working at Walt Disney Imagineering, uh, and has amazing stories to share with us about the the birth and life, and uh, some would say premature death of um, the uh, Star Trek experience is uh, Luke Maynard. So, Luke, welcome Mayron. to the show. Mayron. 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 That's what I said. <laughs> you didn't understand my accent. Uh, yes. So uh, welcome. welcome, welcome, Luke. Thank Luke. Thank you. Thank you. See, Darren knows because you know he already went through the Maynard Mayran process <laughs> while we taught together at Art Center. So. Yeah, <laughs> it was uh, that was a great time, and I uh, I missed those years. It was a lot of fun. Well, we're so l- glad that Mickey let you out for a few uh, minutes to come over here and talk to us because you know the, the Star Trek experience has come up a number of times on the show. Uh, people have some very fond memories of it, and I wonder if you can tell us sort of. From your perspective, when Landmark got the uh, got the gig uh, to design this, uh, just what you remember about the genesis of this whole project? Because of course, Star Trek was never Star Wars. It was never that huge franchise that, that spawned the kind of merchandise and the kind of offshoots that Star Wars did. Nobody would have predicted, you know, uh, you know, Galaxy's Edge doesn't surprise anybody. But Star Trek, on the other hand, as something that needs to turn a certain amount of turnstiles every day and be accessible to the general public and not just the fans um, is something very different, and I'm wondering how that all came about, and um, then you know the desire and how to, how do you execute that vision? Well, I think so. You're touching on a few things. One of those things is kind of uh, a general approach to like you know making theme park attractions, if you will, because there's this idea that is something big enough to make an attraction, or how do you make something an attraction? I had been through it before with T23D and other things like that where um, you, you, can't, um, you can't start off assuming people don't care. Actually, it's more like the Beatles, right? And if you've been to Vegas again and you saw the Beatles show uh, you know, by Cirque there, um, somebody, I'm sure, somebody early on said, well, you know, the Beatles, that's for like, you know, old guys who like, you know, blah, 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 and all this stuff. But, you know. Old guys who like Star Trek, yep. <laughs> but, but, no, but the, the point is, no, actually, because if you just start playing like five, four bars, of, you know, of something Beatles, almost everybody will respond in some sure. fashion. And so that music lives inside you, just like I think Star Trek lives inside so many people. Mm-hmm. It's there. There's that that popular culture, so deep in the pop culture. And it's it's also deep in the metaphors and everything, you know, like I just, you know, in, in, in Shanghai, I did the, um, um, uh, the pirates land there, Treasure Cove. And in the process of doing that, uh, realize how much of the English language has to do with sailing and being on the ocean and the exploration, because we're a culture that came from people that traveled across the world. Right. right. And, and Star Trek has a lot of those same metaphors, but it kind of takes it out into space and, and just, that's. I think we connect so many poor, more people connect to that, and I think the the show proved that people go out there and have a great time, even if they weren't like deep, you know, right. you know, Trek fans, and that's okay. That's 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 when we succeed, right? You draw people in, now they go back, they want to see it. Well, because Star Trek was the hook, but right. the experience was right for them. And, and for right. people who aren't familiar, this was a an experience was in Vegas, uh, and you went through 
a large area where there were displays, prop replicas, some real props. A museum. A museum. Um, of course, and we'll get to what, you know, Rob created some amazing videos for that area um, as well, you know, which were clips and, and different uh, different things. And then you would go into the ride, which was a 4D ride, if I'm, I remember. So, was... well, the, so the, the setup was, um, as you said, you come into the, it was the history of the future. So basically the, you know, the that big queue area at the front that was open with the restaurant below. That was the, the place where we had the history of the future very, very nicely uh, shared with us in great part uh, by uh, Michael Okuda and Denise, right? So they allowed us, you know, access to the book that they created. And then we added all, you know, more and more and more stuff. We went to the to the, uh, to the the, the slide library at uh, back then at, uh, at Paramount and like went through all this stuff and got hundreds, literally hundreds of photographs and composed this giant thing in 64 giant panels. Uh, so that was the history of the future. So when we talk about, like, what is the setup for the attraction? Well, the first setup that you have to do as a creative, you know, lead on this is is decide, well, where's your point of view? And the point of view is the minute I enter Star Trek is real. Right. Right. So that's why we fought in the, in the, in the montage is not to talk as having directors talking about the episodes it's or even or, or even you know Gene Roddenberry right? right he he wasn't in there and that was kind of on purpose so that people could step and feel like I'm in there right. I can believe right now and so that was a very deft kind of thing of like coming in and you come in and it's real and you see the history of the future and the more you go through and the more props you see and the more they feel real and the more they are the episodes that touched you the more you're convinced that it's good but then then you know, the switcheroo is you come to the end of the queue and now they go, okay, how many in your party? And they send you over here and it kind of comes down a notch like, okay, what's, yeah. Then you go into the little room, the little room, and you see this cheesy video, of which I'm part, by the way. Um, <laughs> and and um, you're in this cheesy video when you go like the guy who, who get, goes on the ride and has his wife not go on the ride and all these like really terrible scenes like, what is happening here? And they're just like cheesy little, you know, plastic chairs. I'm going to go on an awful ride after you just told me the future is real and then boom we switch it again now you're on the enterprise transport you boom now it's real again and this time even more real because the people say one of the most amazing <laughs> transitions yeah, yeah, yeah. ever live that, transition yeah, it, it, not only that. was it one of the most amazing from a technical standpoint I don't even know how you guys designed that I remember the first time I went before it even opened they were showing us how it worked that was one of the single most amazing experiences I've ever had in any theme park anywhere because it felt – we'll talk about what That's what like happened. the best transition since Pirates of the Caribbean, I think. You know, it's like it, – it was amazing. I mean, it was – you, you actually feel as though you're being beamed up to the and Enterprise. And there was a yeah. mechanism that I, I remember seeing yeah. behind the scenes how it worked. I was like – what? Yeah. How did you make this? I modeled it. I have it in SketchUp here. I can show you guys. Uh, but it's, yeah, the um, well, the whole idea was so. So I have to tell you, there's always a story. There's a story of how it was meant to be when we were given the project, and mm-hmm. and there was like you know, so the script wasn't great, and there's a lot of things were not very good. And one of the things was, well, you come into this series of vitrines that have props behind them, and they're the same shape as the transporter, and then, you know, we just turn the screens opaque, and now you're on, you know, you've been transported to the end. It was, it was just going to be so awful. <laughs> so, so awful. And it was like, no! you got to make this real. you got to feel it. So, you know, the fundamental conceit was 
uh, good magic starts, you know, 300 feet before you ever walk into the room. So the whole space is set up the whole time as you're in these narrow, tall corridors with this kind of particular look and everything and a feel. And you go into this room that is also all designed to feel like there's no way this would move. The walls are tilted. Everything feels very solid. But really, the room is just like a wafer-thin thing that can just, like, lift in, in a second and a half. The ceiling replaces. So the room goes from being uh, actually wide and very shallow forward to back and very tall to being super short because we've slid a whole new ceiling over you, like two feet lower. It's actually much deeper because now it's the full, you know, transporter pad. And it's a little bit narrower. But the floor is, is uplit. So right. traditional magic is to change everything. Change everything. So we changed every cue. We've changed the lighting, changed the audio quality. At first, kind of tinny and this and that. And you wind up on the Enterprise with like the hum and the thrum, you know, and everything. So, so yes, it's a big piece of equipment that moves a lot very quickly. And then we cheat the video screens, look like they're real, but they're projected. And, right. you know, there's fiber optics. And then, and then there was a freebie. The freebie that we didn't expect is that when you pull this room up in a second, it actually makes all this wind like the air motion <laughs> makes you feel like, whoa, something Something's really happening. happened. Yeah. And yeah. You got beamed. <laughs> That's <Yeah>. right. <laughs> That's what it feels like to get beamed. Like, who knows, right? <laughs> it was, that was, I think that was the thing that was amazing was doing it the first time. It was really heavy. Like, didn't it weigh two tons oh, yeah. or something? Yeah, it was pretty heavy. Yeah. And they're lifting up the counterweight. It kind of was like an elevator in yeah. a way. And yeah. they pulled it's this. Two tracks above. I remember standing in there and the lighting, I mean, when yeah. it. You go in this empty room, basically, but when you're beamed because they pulled the walls up, suddenly then you're now revealed to be in the transporter room of the Enterprise D. And there were characters, there were right. actors playing. Captain, we got them. They, they were all there, and you're suddenly you're standing there, and it was so convincing. Yeah. Like, even though I'd seen how it was done, to actually sit there, and on opening night yeah. was the first time I saw it with all the characters, that yeah. beautiful just opening night with uh, the big party that was incredible. So awesome. You believed Oh, yeah. Like, even though it was yeah. magic, like any good magic, uh-huh. even I worked on this thing, I believed it. Right. Even like, though yeah. you know how the trick is done, it's still right. It astounding. was so, and every time yeah. I ever went yeah. to Vegas, it, it for years later. You had yeah. to go. It, you had yeah. to go, and it never ceased to get old. Right. Yep. It was amazing. Yeah, well, I think that's the, you know, but also in, it's not just theme parks, but movies and attractions, is you have to give the you know, credit for the audience to want to jump in the story. Mm-hmm. You know, people don't go to Star Trek The Experience or to anything else in a Disney or a Universal Park just to criticize it. They're going out there to have a good time. Yeah. So you have to make sure you give them no reasons to criticize. Right. And then they'll jump in and stay and they're having a great time. Just like I, that's what I do. I mean, yeah. I go to a place and I just, I'm just aching to believe that this thing is great and yeah. cool and real and now you cue me and then oh that's fantastic right. good good so that that was really a great way to start that show we didn't know if it was going to work right i mean we this started as a model that we had in the shop and like wow that's a big thing to move and how do you do that and like you know and then like this giant ceiling is 26 feet in diameter slides over that whole room but when it's retracted it's actually above the bridge the next set that you're going to oh. go over on this like giant tilted track wow. and then like you know the bridge has this 
like these stars streaking overhead. Well, mm-hmm. we had to figure out a way to make that in like just like 10 inches. So that was wow. a very unique kind of flow neon technology that nobody to use and stuff. And it was just a lot of, lot of tricks, a lot of tricks, <laughs> so much fun. And then you were led, you were led out of the transporter room into a grand corridor that was sort of new. We hadn't seen that on Star Trek. Well, you Trek. go to the bridge first. And yeah, then, and then you'd walk down. Well, and, for the turbo lift first. The turbo lift and then the grand corridor, yeah. Right, right, right. The, oh, the grand corridor, right. But you still had to go through a corridor to get to the bridge. Right. So that so was the that was the traditional like you know uh, Starfleet you know classic right. you know uh, yeah. TNG and then the Grand episode. Quarter led to the shuttle bay. Yeah, and right. the shuttle bay was real out. There was so well, much fun there. I I I love hearing about what happened actually in the turbo lift when you're in there because yeah. that whole thing's turning. <laughs> yeah. It, you you go in on one side right. and people inside have no idea that you're actually you're not moving up or down. Right. You're just turning slowly. Right. And you're going into a, a different set that is right next to where you just worked. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's, it's literally a, a spinning room, very simple. Yeah. But, you know, the actors sell it. The actors were really great. They right. really got into it. And, you know, it's just a few bladders underneath that mm-hmm. made the floor kind of go a little bit. But the whole thing, I mean, th- that one has a different kind of technical story that's kind of interesting is to program that to do all these things and the lights. And, um, you know, the, the experience... Uh, spared no expense on some things, but in other areas we were challenged, and it's not always easy to build these things. Right. So the whole thing, that whole thing was programmed in like machine language. If you guys don't know if you're familiar, but this is like a, this is like the the oldest form of program. I and mean, here right. I am, and there's like like uh, like like command level instructions this programmer is doing to try and make Basically this thing directly look addressing like, motors, <laughs> 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 trying to make something behave like what you imagine a turbo lift would right. be like. There's a lot of kind of extremes there, like you know paper mache over here and like sure. you know, super high tech over there, and like yeah, it's pretty. And interesting. then you built ex- beautifully accurate representations yeah, of the bridge of the, of the bridge. Enterprise D, right. Right. So, you know, I think with all these, uh, like the transporter and the corridors and that, in that area, it was very important to me that as a team we deliver what you saw on TV. But in doing that, we had to make a lot of cheats. So mm-hmm. the corridors, you know, the angles are a little bit different, but not exactly because of safety, this and that. Sure. And and then there's, um, you know, the transporter is actually probably almost like twice the size right, right. of the yeah. regular transporter yeah. because it had to fit that flying room and all that stuff. So, But everything else was kind of cheated, so you kind of, you know, the light was this and that. Uh, the bridge was very, very faithful um, in that it was almost all the same shapes and everything, mm-hmm. but the thing is we changed the rake. So in mm. the back, you were, I think, like six or eight inches not as high right. because the the ramps would have been too sharp for ADA, oh. you know, the, the exiting thing. So the small differences, but right. little things, hopefully they were all kind of minor and people didn't notice like the exact angles of things were a little bit different, but and we tried to like, signs. you know. So exit signs were, yeah. I'm glad you bring that up. So, um, Making a custom exit sign in America is a project, right? Mm. So, um, and you don't do that. People didn't do that. At right. that time, there were like three typical exit signs you could use in a building that were like, you know, fire rated, blah, blah, yeah. blah, approved, approved by and everything. Legal and, yeah. and so, um, and so this is Star Trek. I'm not going to put like a regular exit sign you see like in the back of a Mary calendars, you know, I mean, right. let's make this right. So, <laughs> you know, got, you know, font from Michael uh, Okuda and, and just got designed a thing and actually designed two. One was Star- Starfleet and the other one was uh, uh, Cardassian, I guess, for right. the promenade. Um, and actually ran that through the whole process. So that year, two new exit signs were now available in America, not really, but, you know, right. uh, that were approved 
to actually like wow. fire safe exit signs that and that way they could stay off all the time and like a backlit like a kudogram. Right. Um, and then if they if you needed them, they would turn on and the font was right and it mm-hmm. looked right. You know, it's like wow. little yeah. details. <laughs> There's another one that is interesting from a technical standpoint is like, you know, when when operating these rides, um, typically what what is the equipment that's used is like big buttons and things. You know, they're Allen Bradley type, you know, they're called. Um, it looks like industrial equipment. And and the people on the bridge, the, the, the actors, we wanted them to actually be running the show. There's right. not like a separate tech out there that's like turning things on and off. And everything has to happen at the right time, the right because it's it's driven by the acting, by right. the reactions of people and so forth. So we wanted them to have the control. Well, it's not going to be a good bridge if you have like a big red mushroom button that you have right. to hit here and there. And like, right. that's awful. Just forget it. And it's not cool if it's like on the side and it's just, it, people are going to know. So we actually figured out a way to use proximity sensors and actually rate them for safe, you know, for, for safe use, you know, with audience to start like actual pieces of equipment wow. that were disguised in the beautiful, you know, kind of a kudogram navigation. <laughs> and also the actors, so they could feel it too. I mean, the actors believe that they're doing it even more because now, hey, I'm, I'm they really are starting this yeah. thing, you know. <laughs> That's I mean, it's so cool. funny because other than Disney, I've never seen uh, cast members that were so invested. I mean, you hear that now with Star Wars with Galaxies, how excited everyone is to be these Star Wars characters. But I think to this day, the cast members from the Vegas experience still have reunions. They still get yeah, together. Right. I'm on it the was group, very meaningful. And on Facebook. I mean, they, they, put, they post stuff all the time. It's awesome. It's really cool. I mean, because they, it was their chance to be in the 24th century in this case. Another thing that, that uh, uh, when I learned more and more about how the layout of the experience was, and it seemed obvious when I real when I saw it, um, but it, it's something that you don't immediately think about. But there's two of everything, yeah. In order to you know yep. have have the flow through of enough people right. to make it worthwhile, yeah. Um, and you know, so there's two bridges, there's two transporter rooms, there's yep. two everything, and it's it's so amazing how this is laid out so that everything works correctly. Right. Right. Uh, it's just truly it, amazing. It's a pretty complex thing, and it was, you know, so not, no need to get into that. But, you know, because there were two of everything, it allows us to put this, to put this, the second show, the, the, the you know, the the Borg experience. The, right, the Borg experience. Because the Borg ex- experience took um, the place of one of the transporters right. and then some space in the Grand Corridor and so forth. But they kept the second bridge because they were doing a lot of weddings there. Right. So, oh. <laughs> so it was great. So they could run the first experience, you know, on its own and then run mar- you know, weddings in there and then run the Borg experience. Really, um, I mean, it that was a freestanding. I don't know what to call it, entertainment facility, because it had everything. It had yeah. like maintenance shops down below, costume, you right. know, makeup, place for actors, green rooms. It had kitchens, of course, because it's a two hundred fifty seat restaurant sure. for that, yeah, you know, yeah. playing sure, on golf and stuff yeah. and whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, right. forget, you know, most theme park attractions exit out to a gift shop. In this Which case, this did it as well. A gift but shop, but also it had the restaurant. It had the restaurant. So it was supposed to be yeah. there because it was the promenade. Right. It was the gift shop of on course. Deep Space Nine yeah. that you could buy yeah. stuff at. But I also have to say that the restaurant was great. And right. it was it was completely it completely themed and yep. and in universe. And again, the cast members were completely in character all the time. The yeah. ra- onion rings of Beta Z? The, the magic <laughs> onion rings of Beta Z. Warp Core Breach. Warp Core Breach, is, oh, which yeah. is still one of the greatest presentations of a of a drink I've ever yeah. seen. I remember you ordering it. I did. It was great. Yeah. <laughs> we used to sometimes go and not even go to the Star Trek experience just to go to the restaurant sure. there. Yeah. Sure, sure. Um, because the restaurant was actually edible, unlike a lot of these theme park restaurants. <laughs> it was, it was, and it was, it was fun. 
it was it was fun. Well, that, um, that that bar that that bar that curving bar was it was a kind of I think we went over this in class maybe at one point. That was a dream I'd had for like you know. Ten years before to right. make that curving bar thing, blah blah blah, and then here's my opportunity. In front, it's quarks, right. but then the bars in the back, and then all those props, and you know the the way that we delivered those drinks through the that yeah. we had all these time nozzles and everything. So everything's an experience, right? So yeah. the whole point is you feel like you're in the world because everything's a little different. The characters are coming over, they're kind of interrupting and then <laughs> taking part of stuff. So well done, so much fun, right? so well done. Well, I want to ask you philosophically. Now, of course, we've seen Galaxy's Edge open, and the idea of Galaxy's Edge is you're really trying to create the idea in guests that you're there. Philosophically, what are some of the the levels? Like, like instead of just design, you have to trick the human mind into into believing because like you said which is really interesting to hear that we want to believe you don't go into a theme park attraction right. wanting to criticize yeah, you're it no, you're, you're not yeah, you're, you're not want... going into the park if you don't want to believe well, what, <laughs> right, right. what are some of the are there psychological triggers are there are there things that you as a designer and as now you're an imagineer uh-huh. but back then working on theme parks are there things that you draw on? Like, is there a famous psychologist who wrote maybe a book, like the uh, uses of enchantment or something that well, you have to draw upon as much as you draw upon industrial design? Um, I mean, not formally, but I think so many things boil down to like surprise and delight. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, if if you can, if you can, um, you know, the unexpected is a really great way to throw somebody off. Yeah, unexpected and delightful, not mm-hmm. right. the other kind. But but like if you come in and I was like, whoa, that's special. All of a sudden you're kind of like in a receptive mode because your mind has been – you're prepped to like, oh, okay, I, I can step in. I think, um, you know, the, in terms of the levels, uh, what's interesting to me is is you have to allow various guests to access it at the level they want. Right. You know, in in our in our industry, we talk about the waiters, the divers, and the swimmers, right? Mm. So waiters come up to an experience, and they will like sample it, go through, and wow, this is great! This I'll stand I had a and great look time. around and, and smile. Yeah, and that's yeah. good. Now the swimmer comes up to it and reads the plaque and looks at the stuff, is looking at the uniform of the, and it's like, oh, that's cool. That was pretty real. That felt great. And I, I might want to see a little bit more. And they might you know, linger and look and try and touch things. And of course, you got the diver. The diver is like, well, what's your name? What's your backstory? What's what happened right. to you? And what, what's going on there? And why is that? light you know turning on and off and whatever you know so they want to know everything and and they want to engage with everything right. well, I want to make the light turn on and off right. and I want to get the app that does this and I so a good entertainment destination has got all those because well, not the whole family wants to do everything right wow. and some some experience is also very um, uh, I would say kind of a bank shot so like for example when um, it, I don't know if you guys have kids but when you go to a place with with kids um, a lot of times you're getting your entertainment from seeing the kid enjoy themselves sure. and then you in, you share in that. So that's one way. Uh, there's a vicarious liking to where you kind of watch people, you know, get brought up on stage and do stuff just right. like you might be the person that gets that. Right. Um, and so there's all those are like, for example, some rides um, like when we did in, uh, in Shanghai, we did a, a big raft ride. And the, one of the reasons I wanted to do that is in a raft ride, you're facing each other, kind of like we are here if you had two more tables. Right. So now whatever's happening to you. So, Robert, we're headed for like that crazy drop right. and the water is going to come over your head <laughs> and you can't see it. It's all but you see it in my face that <laughs> man, you're going to you're going to get right. it now. <laughs> it's, it, and it's related to what you were talking about before. This is all elements of story. Storytelling yeah. about anticipation, about tension and release, and yeah. setting up moments 
for later. Yep. And uh, what you were saying, uh, the the setup for the transporter room was that you're getting taken into sort of yeah. like a shoddy version of the That's ride. Right. This is all sort of the roller coaster right. of going through this experience, and it's all storytelling. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, we treat it exactly like uh, like any film or anything like right. that. I mean, it's, it's 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 only another form of the same kind of thing. You know, whether we're just talking a story and you're 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 telling a story in gestures and everything, you're going to do the same thing. Your voice going to get lower. You're going to draw people in. They're like, yeah, right. you know, oh, and right. that's. That's what we do, except we do with with places and things. And, and in, in Star Trek, we had such a great, great, not just places, right? Because you know, the, one of the great things about Star Trek is that so many iconic, like you know, uh, places like the bridge, or you know, objects like the Enterprise or whatever, or, or places they've gone to. And most of the time, they don't blow them up, which is kind of cool because you right. can go back. Um, and unlike some other, you know, <laughs> stories, <laughs> uh, but but. Um, so that you have all that to work on, plus the story, right? I mean, that's actually you know behind all this. As a as a you know, I, was I a deep Trek fan at the time? I certainly was. By the time we were about you know two months into it, right. uh, but I was you know I remember as I was driving over, I was listening to one of your previous podcasts, and and it reminded me like what what what, what set me up to be so excited to do this before, besides just seeing episodes on TV and stuff like that. Um, I hadn't seen I had seen all the original series but not extensively at, at the time but next generation was happening um and it was the the episodes were coming out while I was in Japan so I was living in Japan for 2 years to work on a project for uh, Sanrio so doing another theme park there the pure land the... pure land yes yeah. exactly from for landmark and um and I was getting videotapes from um, a couple of friends in LA that would send us some television to watch because we only English had language, you know, Japanese yeah. television, which was yeah. great if you want to, you know. And I loved Miyazaki, and you could go to sure. video store and get all those great, you know, fantastic, you know, anime uh, uh, movies. Um, but the real cool thing was, oh man, that that VHS, you know, with you know two or even sometimes four hours of grainy like <laughs> stuff with like two wow. Star Trek episodes, and you're like. <gasps> Oh my God! What happened this time? You know, it was so much fun, um, and that's um, that made it extra precious. Mm-hmm. And when I came back, I was you know, I mean, I was totally bought in before in the, the TNG, especially. But when I came back, it was like, oh my God, this is right. very, very special. Well, I want to ask you about the ride <laughs> film too, and, yeah. and, and Corey, because you mentioned that the original script wasn't great, and I know eventually Rick Berman brought in some of his writers from the show. Because wasn't that Renee Echeverria, yeah. I think, wrote yeah, it, and and, uh, and uh, Biller and Ken Biller, Biller right? Yeah. And um, so. Uh, you know, what are the sort of the challenges of, you know, obviously you're telling a different kind of story. And of course, spoiler alert, it ends with the ship facing off, you know, with the Klingons over the yeah. in Las Vegas, uh, which is, you know, okay. it breaks the fourth wall a bit, but it's still super fun and yeah. visceral. And, 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 you know, what are you going to do? That's, yeah. you know, part it comes with territory. And it's, it's I think it's very fulfilling for a lot, you know, to, to yeah, have that kind of. Um, so can you talk about like sort of. The, the ride film itself and some of what was going on on the bridge at that point? So, um, well, the making of the ride film, the director on that was Mario Camberg. It was done by Rhythm and Hughes. Um, and so we all worked together to integrate it into one one story as I was directing the rest of, you know, everything in there. Um, but in terms of the how it, it worked together, um, you know, Robert, you were mentioning earlier, you know, we shot all this footage that was shown on the bridge to set up 
why right. you know this Klingon is Armstrong. coming after us exactly. <laughs> you know <laughs> who, who you later know. went on he was he's, he was in the first season of Next Generation and he right. was in Star Trek all the way through to the end of Enterprise into he was Admiral he was so Forrest. good you know he was so good uh, yeah so so we shot that because we needed to set up a strong like foe and the reason why and then um, you know so there's a number of things you need to set up prior to a ride film like that one of the conceits was there's a shuttle ahead of you so that helps you know where to look so that's actually there's kind of some of these things are somewhat mechanistic but you if there was no shuttle in front of you then it's it's hard to tell people where to, where look, to look when you're and on the bridge it helps and to do that room. and it gives you the extra and it gives you scale cues to see yeah. what how this relates to you exactly exactly so so this you know these are the things you set up ahead of time but they're also great story material, right? I mean, there's a reason why they're they you know it's so important to get you back to your time because right, and uh, and and uh, there has to be stakes. There has to be stakes behind that stuff. And then where you go, well, you go to this time portal. Of course, you're gonna have to because that's how you get back, you know. <laughs> and uh, and then you, what do you see on the way? Well, you know, a little tourism, space whales, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And why not? And um, I think that it got maybe a little bit more fantasy-ish there, if you want right. to get specific. But you know, once you're on, once you're bought into the story, you, you can take it, it places. Yeah. And I think, if anything, there's probably too many, um, you know, just maybe getting broad here, TV shows, movies, and stuff like that, and, or attractions, they get too caught up in their own r- logic and rationale sometimes, and and kind of forget that you know, if 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 I know that doing this over there is going to be fun and kind of wacky, um, you know, if it's too wacky, don't do it. But if there's a way I can kind of bend the logic a little bit to take me right. there because mm-hmm. it's going to be a great, you know, I'm an entertainer. I'm, yeah. you know, I, I'm interested in making people have fun. So if that is an important thing, let's see if I can kind of take the story there and not, you know, break anything. Because once you've done it and people are happy, like we had that question with uh, um, uh T two three D Terminator three D. Not to turn this into a different podcast, but in what some people, which is a great attraction, at Universal, and I, I miss right? that attraction. So now the Minions, I believe. Yes, it's <laughs> changed. Um, but some people were telling me, "Oh, well, we don't like this one," you know, uh, because you know you're kind of changing the 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 proscenium. You know, you're kind of in it, and then you're out of it, and everything. And I'm like. Does it make a difference to the audience? They love it, and they're okay to step through. We gave them, and you know, we gave, we 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 went. You go through the time bubble, and that's enough to take you there. And from that point on, you got the movie language. Then you pull back out of it. The audience is willing to go. Let's go, right? right? And then everybody applauds at the end. So it's not like yeah. anybody was disappointed. And they go like, "Well, you know, that transition really <laughs> bothered me." But it, it, even in the earliest uh, points of making motion pictures, people would argue, well, yeah. you can't cut to a close up. Exactly. The audience will go crazy." Like, no, <laughs> the audience is with you if the story is bringing them along. Yeah, but you exactly. also, you know, talk about. And we talked just about this at the beginning. This is not if you were just appealing to diehard Star Trek fans. The thing would have closed after a month, right? Okay, yeah. that it has to be the grandmother from Topeka, you know, and your aunt uh, Sadie, and uh, all these people who are coming to Vegas looking for a good time. And the taxi drivers say, "You should check out that Star Trek experience," and, you know, <laughs> uh, and and they went and they had a great time because you did all this, and yet the fans were also sated yeah. because it was enough fan service that everyone enjoyed it. I mean, I never heard anyone come out of that ride and say I didn't like that ride. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. people love that attraction. Well, what was really, I think, what's what sort of been lost about that was that you literally, when you you went through the museum, of course, the history of the future, but when you were beamed onto the Enterprise, it was a physiological, you felt it. The wind happened, the room changed, and suddenly your perception of reality 
was changed. I mean, you really right. you don't know how the room changed, but you're in a different room. Right. It was magic. So suddenly right. you're in the whether you wanted to believe or whether mm-hmm. you were skeptical, mm-hmm. you're in the transport. Like, how did that happen? Right. Then you walk into the bridge. Right. And the bridge, the lighting in the bridge was perfect. Yeah. I mean, sounds. Yeah. We got all the, the sounds, sounds from the, the feel yes. of it. Yeah. And then suddenly you're like having the episode. You're having an experience of being in an episode because Vaughn Armstrong right. as a Klingon yeah. comes on board and you're watching, <laughs> which is a Star Trek conceit. Someone's talking to you yep. on the view screen of the bridge. You're talking to a Klingon, <laughs> and there you're like a real person, and you're standing yeah. around. You're yeah. looking at the bridge. Even if you weren't even paying attention, yep. you're still in the 24th century. Yeah. You will regret defying me! For 30 years, you've sat and watched. Red now, it's your turn to enter the 24th century. Star Trek The Experience at the Las Vegas Hilton. This time, it's real. For ticket information, call 1-888-GO-BOLDLY. There's no, like, you can't yeah. go anywhere, and there's no bathroom. There's You're on the bridge of the Enterprise, and there's a Klingon talking to you. And then you go down the Grand Corridor, so that... Yeah. The illusion that you've you've gone through something physical that literally yeah. was physical that you're then mentally tricked into like I'm still on you're not just on the you've yeah. walked down a corridor and right. gone onto the bridge. Hey Rob, I just want to say because I, I think it's a great point. I mean, I was on the set of the, on the bridge many times, you know, during my days the, of covering the Star real Trek. bridge, the real yes. bridge I, in, on Melrose <laughs> Avenue at Paramount. Yeah, and yet it never felt as authentic to me as it, the uh-huh. Las Vegas experience did. Because yep. you don't have the stage wall, you don't have the lights, you don't have usually mm-hmm. that front wall with the view screen, except when they're shooting overs, mm-hmm. is right. gone. So you're seeing a bunch of people in chairs and cameras. Yeah. So it was never as authentic <laughs> as it was in that uh, No, and it, was, it didn't matter how many times you went on that bridge, it never failed. And have a lifelong Star Trek fan and having somebody that cut those videos from <laughs> sat in that room for a long time, <laughs> I we'll never was failed yeah. to be mesmerized. Yeah. Because yeah. it was I know you talk you. about, well, the things weren't, it wasn't high enough. It uh, was perfect. And when you stood in there, it was something that no matter, you, you just, there was no, right. there was no broken reality. And yeah. I think of all the, the carpet park, got a little worn after. Yeah. And, that, yeah, and I totally get you on that. I find that the carpet was actually, we got it from Herman Zimmerman that uh-huh. on the set was this carpet. So we used it. It was very, very durable, but you know, it's a lot of people The bridge out, doesn't yeah. normally get that much traffic. So <laughs> <laughs> the real bridge. <laughs> no, it was it was amazing. And even when you went down that grand yeah. corridor, it was part of the enterprise you hadn't seen before. It was new to yeah. the experience. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so so that I'm glad you brought you bring this up because you know in in the brief that I kind of sort of assigned myself, but also the team as as we were going is we needed to deliver on a number of things. We need to deliver on what you've seen on Star Trek that you want to be there, like the bridge, the transporter. We needed to do that. We needed to des- deliver on the breadth and the depth and the richness of the stories of Star Trek. That's what the history of the future is. Mm-hmm. Um, also needed to deliver something new. You know, like so someplace you haven't been on the on the Enterprise. And one of the things I like to do is those scale plays. The Grand Quarter is one of those things. And it was dimensioned and shaped so it would fit like on the backside of the 1701 uh, right. D. Excuse me. I don't remember. I'm, 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 yeah. <laughs> Sorry. But on the back of the, of the, of the saucer right. in roughly the right location mm-hmm. next to the thing so that it had that arc. It was really hard to make that whole thing cur- you know, curve because right. it's like. 
200 feet long or something and has mirrors on both ends to make it look like right. it's like 600 feet long. And so you really think like, oh, my God, I'm in, I didn't even know that could fit in a building, right? right? That's another kind of scale trick of like, how does it fit here and how does that work? And it has all these, you know, anyways. And you also we set it up so that when you come off those um, um, uh, turbo lifts, you, you have to cross. So both turbo lifts have to exit and they, you know, people go to one of the domes or the other dome. So right. you always wind up crossing the Grand Court. That's the classic TV, right? So right. You, you, you make these crossing paths so people have a change of – so you get to walk through it. You don't just kind of walk and, like, look over there and that's cool. And no, you actually get to walk through the thing right. and arrive at the, uh, you know, the uh, the shuttle bay where Jordy gives you the this, this fun, you know, funny little, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, brief. But, yeah, it was really, really cool. Wow. I, I should mention that when we were filming Vaughn Armstrong – there's a Deep Space Nine episode called Soldiers of the Empire, and uh, uh, LeVar Burton was directing mm-hmm. that episode, and then we showed up, yep. the Landmark team showed yep. up, and filmed the Klingon talking on the view screen yep. for that yep. part of the film. Was Then DeVos directed yep. that scene, and that was actually done after they the Klingon sang a song in that episode, so we got to watch... LeVar mm-hmm. Burton direct the end of that episode before yep. they stopped shooting, so then we jumped on. Yep. And that was one of the, for my f- Star Trek fandom, that was a highlight of my life, watching yep. LeVar Burton direct this Deep Space Nine episode, and we're all just waiting to get onto the bridge to shoot. It was a single shot. It was a single, because yeah, yep. it's a view screen shot, right. So, but it was awesome. But even that was kind of different, right? Because, I mean, not to get technical again, but like on the, on the, on the show... Um, if you want to make a character look like they're talking to another character, all you do is you line them up and you make sure right. that you know the the head's pointing in the right direction. It's a very known language, right? Right. Um, but this view screen on the bridge, if it was, if you were on the real Enterprise, it would have to be very smart technology so that people could actually see each other because because the eye lines of something that is flat are not the same as something right. else. And now we have a big audience of 27 people standing behind the, the <laughs> arch, you know, and then the other character is talking. So now you want the character that's sitting there who's talking to, you know, uh, either LeVar or, or, you know, or the Klingon that – that person looks like the it's the right eye line. They're right. not they're not kind of like talking to the wall or talking to like the wrong. Part. So now we had to, we had all if you remember we had all these cutouts of like well the people should be sitting yeah. here and how do we frame this so this right. looks just right. It's very you know a lot of it's kind of jury rigged but you figure it out and then you make it work. <laughs> and he was do you, do you remember how did they cast Vaughn Armstrong? Did you guys cast him? I think uh, I think that came from the, the from the production. The, Rush, the, yeah. the, well, we were trying to, as always in these cases, we we're trying to piggyback off of work they were doing because right. I mean, we didn't have a fortune to create everything. That's why we go to the shuttle because the shuttle bay, you know, set is up once in a while, so we could shoot, you know, var there right. and so sure. forth. So, um, so you're opportunistic, you know, right. at yeah. best. Yeah. Well, <laughs> let me. Oh, sorry. I was well, I was going to ask you. Um, Specifically, you know, is there anything that you really, you know, had wanted to attempt or do that was just beyond the technology of your ability to execute or your budget at the time in terms of uh, in terms of the experience? Um, you know, I have to say, well, there's one thing I would have loved for us to complete, which was above the Deep Space Nine promenade. There's a second floor. We actually designed it. So you see the windows and it's relatively similar scale to what the set was. That space was meant to be finished and occupiable, and eventually it was, so you could do, like, 
functions there, but it was very basic. But I wanted – we had a whole staircase. In fact, it was built. It's in the wall. It was in the wall. Mm-hmm. Where we could have just opened the staircase at one end of Quarks and actually go up to the second story of Quarks oh. and have, like, drinks under the stars looking down on the promenade. So oh, that, that space cool. was – but we we just had to cut the, the – you know, finishing it out close to the end. Um, but So that's probably my one – specific regret. I have to say, though, that project was something where everybody came into it, just poured so much into it. Mm. I, um, it was one of those uh, projects, I feel very lucky in my career, that um, we had the perfect alignment of, you know, enough money, not boatloads of money, but enough money, um, not quite enough time, but just enough that you have to be creative and like right. do a lot of crazy stuff. Um, and a client at the time that wanted us to succeed, you know, so Anthony Esparza used to be my boss at Landmark. He went and became the chief creative at Paramount Parks. Mm-hmm. He's the one that brought the job back to Landmark when he saw what had been right. done. Uh, so like, yeah, that's probably not going to work so great. So he came back and he asked for, you know, for me to lead it creatively for a specific producer, a specific tech director. He just basically said, I need these people to right. do it, uh, which was that's pretty rare that you have a client that not only knows what they want or at least is is cognizant enough to know when they don't um just enough money it was a it would could have been a better location in terms mm-hmm. of like you know in in Vegas if it had been on the strip it would still be running today mm-hmm. um, yep. but um but and the team was in perfect so many things were incredible and many of the people that worked on that were people that later on became like pillars of the industry so you talked about the ride film the ride film the concept designers on that were Craig Mullins mm-hmm. and um, Stefan Martinier so yeah. like you don't don't get much better than that. Um, and uh, other folks that I've worked since then, so Color was Lunar Laurie Newell and a bunch of people that we brought together from all over, including some from the studio, so uh, Denise and right. and uh, and, uh, and Michael, and then, of course, Penny Jude did the props. Right. So yeah. fun story on the props is that, um, so ha- having done projects like this in the past, um, and, and in fact, it happened in the beginning when we were talking about doing a props exhibit, was you go to the the prop warehouse and and what there is is like okay well you know what we have is like the the left boot of the second security guard behind you know Kirk in that right. scene and like okay you know because the costumes are probably gone and because the actors got some of the cool props disappeared or they're elsewhere or they're on loan or whatever um, and if you have to craft a story around that it's really really poor and and so I flipped that entirely on its head with like, no, no, let's start from the audience. And so scoured through all the the scripts and the episodes. I watched them just like you multiple times again and again to go back to like, what's what's touching? What is the thing that matters to to me and to other people watching this as opposed to just what's available? Right. And then so once we had that list of kind of like the desirements or like the, the wish list, then uh, Penny uh, Penny Jude did the the brilliant thing, which was to reach out to a lot of fans. So a lot of the props that are in there were actually made by fans. The people that made the best phaser this, the, the or at least you know, maybe not the best, but they were making really great phasers. There's models from John Eves and stuff like that. So reached out to folks who were going to the best representation of the flute from Inner Light, you know, the, to just get the right thing and present it right as if it's so. So technically, there are actually artifacts from, you know, from a different time period. They're, they're not even from the TV show, many mm-hmm. of them, except right. for the costumes. The costumes were right. actually real. But, um, but they're actually in my, in my 
in my mind, they're actually more real than they were if they were props for the movies because most of them look better than the props. Absolutely, the well, yeah. Most of the props made on on certainly earlier shows yeah. are horrible mm-hmm. because they were done really quickly. Um, I, I was among the people who uh, helped build some of those. Replicas. Real, I didn't know that. Because I, I I worked with uh, HMS uh, um, uh, Mike Moore and uh, Steve oh, okay. Horch, uh, who made a lot of those things for the for the uh for the experience and that was so much fun recreating this stuff and then seeing it again in the display it looked so beautiful and then you could see people stopping and go oh my god that that's yeah. it that's the orb and that's the this on and that's the klingon gavel and that's like you know and that, that's his bathlets yeah they, and right. you know people are stepping in they want to believe i want yeah. them to believe because i want to believe right absolutely you know? and that was part of the world you helped give life to rob with all the the films that you you and i know i remember at the time i mean you were ensconced as <laughs> luke says in this tiny little edit bay <laughs> cursing uh legal and rick berman for all the stuff you couldn't oh, do God, yes. um but uh well how did that come about well so mark mark uh was the publisher and creator of sci-fi universe magazine and we had done a second award show that Majel Barrett was yeah, Sci-Fi honored. Universe Awards. Sci-Fi right? Universe Awards. And Mark and I, and I had one extra day on an Avid. And you and I, you lived close to where I was editing out of. You went and got laser discs and tapes. And I made a five-minute Star Trek montage called Star Trek Eternal. I have it right here. <laughs> Lots of <laughs> and so I got a phone call from Landmark Entertainment. And the only thing... I knew about Landmark Entertainment is I had met Gary Goddard who directed Masters of the Universe, the movie, and it was somebody else from his company saying, um, did you make this montage Star Trek Eternal? And I said, yeah. And they asked me to come <laughs> Because in. we saw it at Comic-Con. You aired it and, <laughs> yeah. and it was, you know, Dave Cobb and, and I, you know, said, hey, we, we, there's something here. We it, need to work this way. It was so crazy. <laughs> and for the, for the, for the anniversary of Star Trek, the 30th anniversary of Star Trek in 1996, Paramount bought this tape from me. They licensed the tape. Yeah, yeah they licensed it. And I had to recut it for various licensing things. And it was only what we had on hand. So I go in and I forget who I met with. It's it literally, was, I remember mm-hmm. going to the other page carrying a stack of laser discs. Yeah. I mean, we were just like, and, and, and you cut this thing, which had better epitomized what we all love about Star Trek than anything I've ever seen. But you cut it to Kennedy uh, from, Nixon. The, yeah, from Nixon. 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 And John and we only had Nixon. a day. So mm-hmm. but not only did we digitize all the footage, because Mark and I knew, let's get this shot from this episode. Like yep. It was only because we knew everything. So I get this call, and I, well, I can't remember. I know his face, but I forget who I met with. But this is what happened. He said, he said to me, he goes, so you know, we like your tape. Because I guess you guys, so here's how we got this tape. We like your tape. Do you, how well do you know Star Trek? And I said, ah. I know Star Trek pretty well. And, and he asked me, he said, well, let's say I wanted to get a, a scene of a, a Klingon stabbing a Romulan. What would, where would I look? And I said, well, I, I don't know if that exact shot, but I would look at the sixth season Star Trek, the next generation episode, Birthright Part Two. <laughs> and uh, like the guy's going through it. An interview. And that's what he said. And he looks at me and he goes, are you kidding? I said, no, there's this Klingon. These Klingons are in this Romulan prison camp, and I know there's an altercation, and somebody gets stabbed, but I don't know if the exact shot you would want is in that episode. <laughs> and he looks at me and he goes, you're hired. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and then they, they, wheel, they got an Avid. They wheeled in an Avid. And then I was working with Dave DeVos, who was my direct boss. And so there were three major videos that we had to create that were you saw when you walked in the attraction. Another thing we didn't talk about was there were these beautiful, giant starship replicas that were built. Mm-hmm. There was the refit Enterprise. There was the Voyager. And there was the Bird of Prey. Mm-hmm. And, the, they, they, and there was on the, the ceiling. 
and, yeah, the, and, and, and of the course D. the D, the twenty six yes, foot and the D. Yes, light, long course, D, so the four yeah. total. But they were beautiful. But the best part was, we had like a machine shop that was around the corner mm-hmm. from our main offices, yep. and they brought from ILM. They brought the, the models yeah. of the Enterprise refit because mm-hmm. our shop was building the Enterprise refit, the main right. Enterprise. We didn't really, yeah, we didn't build the D, the Bird of Prey, and the the uh, I didn't Intrepid, know that. the Voyager. Wow. They were built off site, but we were building. Yeah, that was, it was pen, like Penwall. Yeah, yeah, it was like twenty feet long yeah. or whatever. So they actually had the Enterprise in the motion picture. Mm-hmm. My favorite starship, the actual model, mm-hmm. and like Dave and I would walk over and we'd mm-hmm. have lunch. Like we'd both just sit underneath. There it was. There was the mod, uh-huh. you know the model. We get our lunch and we just sit there as as yeah. they were recreating it. But huge. I yeah. mean, it was that model was like eight feet, but the one they were building was twenty. Yeah. So that they were and they were all kind of to a scale. So the Bird of Prey, uh, the classic Enterprise, and the Voyager were all to one scale. Right. But the D, even though it was twenty six feet long, right. was actually kind of like half, half that scale, scale yeah. because it just would have been too big. But you know, again, people, you know, it was just why are they there? I, I don't just need to explain. Like it's it's just away. great. It was know? just all, it was all, and you saw <laughs> them when you first walked in. It was so my job was so Dave DeVos and I were creating these three videos together we worked on those that you saw when you first walked in that giant screen and then when you walk through the history of the future there was like a klingon video and a borg video and a romulan video i think and and we we had to create those uh and those were specific yeah so like the battles video we we the three of the two of us worked on those then but what i had to do at first was i had to gather all the footage so basically my day consisted of of usually between eight and ten episodes of Star Trek, I would just sit there, and back in the day, you had to, to intake into the drives. You just had to play the episode so right. the digit you could digitize the material that you could manipulate. Well, this is the greatest job I'd ever had in my life. <laughs> you I got mean, paid I to sit and watch Star Trek. I, I literally <laughs> got paid to every day to sit down for, like you said, like a, mm-hmm. it took about four months, and this was only. When the, when we started, only the first season of Voyager had aired. Right. So this was, I, I want to say it's the end of 90, it was the 95, 96 season, I think. Mm-hmm. So I only had up through the first season of Voyager, but I had gone through and I digitized every Star Trek planet, every Star Trek spaceship, every time McCoy said, I'm a doctor, not a moon shuttle conductor. <laughs> I mean, every single thing, every girl Kirk kissed. And then, of course, every single Next Generation, because we Next Generation had finished. So we had mm-hmm. all seven seasons of Next Gen. And the first, we had 93, 94, and the 95 seasons of Deep Space Nine. And then the first season of Voyager. So this was like the greatest job in the world. And then we had to get... We had to send our videos to Rick Berman's office, to the Star Trek production office, mm-hmm. and they had to be approved. Right. And Basically one, Dave Rossi. Well, yeah, Dave. <laughs> and, and I remember doing yeah. – I did this five-minute classic series because I love the classic series, this montage that had everything in it that was rejected. This is why mm. the, the, the this is how free enterprise actually began. Yeah. But I was so mad because I did this this yeah. original series video, and this was not to promote the original series. It was really a next generation attraction, mm-hmm. so it couldn't be a five minute original series video. <laughs> yeah, but but I, you know, so 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 here here's here's my my <laughs> my second camera on that whole <laughs> kind of like event. So so yeah, so you. You spent all this time digitizing, and, and the general direction was like, let's extract all the things that could be useful. And we had we had the the you know the idea for the three videos. So you kind of right. had a, a little bit of a framework. Um, plus, we knew what the other things there was going to be like ships and this and so forth. But um, but that first one, 
because the, the three were the battles montage, the emotional montage, and the other one was the uh, the epic montage. Right, that's right. The <clears> and epic and the epic montage was the one where we were trying to convey why Star Trek. And that was the first one I started. And that was the one that was, I mean, because that's, and I still get like my hair standing on, on end a little bit because that's one where you describe, you get the, you understand why that vision of the future was so appealing. The sense of like there, there is a future, and you're gonna, we're gonna see it. We're gonna see it together. It's gonna be incredible. And in this future, people are gonna get along, and we're gonna solve money and this and this and that and all this. And we're still gonna have a lot of adventure, and it's gonna be, you know, epic, right? But we couldn't say it in Gene Roddenberry's voice. So it was the characters, and so the big thing that you brilliantly uh, locked on was this, uh, this, this trial of, of uh, Kirk where he says, but you know, that's why we're aboard her and all that stuff. That's just our business. That's why you go and explore. And the first version you did had also from City of Forever, uh, if you recall, um, um, I forget the John name of the Collins. character, Joan yeah. Collins, talking about, and in this future, you know, we'll, men will travel in spaceships. And it was this whole speculative hope mm-hmm. thing, of, you know, and it was, it was so beautiful because it just, it told you everything you needed to know about why we love Star Trek, right? But and and I remember when we we got that first cut and we sent it to Paramount Parks and and they called us they were crying I mean people were crying it was so perfect right but then he goes to Berman's office and like there's too much of the original in here like we need some Voyager we need some other stuff and and it was so kind of like you know break your heart like oh yeah why no this says it so well why do we have to change it to something else and then so there was it was still really effective but it right. but that first version was like entirely and it's not because it was old it was because the voice was true right. and right. it was just so clear and eloquent right it could have been you know a character in the, but but later on there were fewer characters talking like that Uh, so it was a little harder to find those moments right right it was (laughs) it was very funny because those three videos were because they were also going to play the other videos are fine Mm -hmm. but they weren't philosophical right and and dave devos said when we were looking at the work he goes you know i really want to do the battles video and that was his thing. He wanted yeah. to really wanted to do the. And I said, "Great, because I want to do the epic video." Yeah. <laughs> and so and so and we we were helping each other out, but but it was it was very funny because, like you just said, that was <laughs> that was it was true. And I I was so what was so funny was we really had free reign. Yeah. Like you guys were not micromanaging right. what we were doing, but you liked what we were doing and. Right. Working with Dave, and then we also work with a woman named Linda Danay. Yeah, worked, she was awesome, and she was awesome too. Still and, a good friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I love Linda, and she and Dave. It was such a. I can't tell you how much fun that project was because yeah. everybody was so, like you had said, into it. Right. Like, and you guys were like, you're like the Willy Wonka who's <laughs> building this stuff, and I'm like, how is this gonna right. work? You know. And I remember mm-hmm. Linda had gone out, and she had seen, she'd gone on site, and I hadn't been there. And she would come back, and she'd be like, "Oh my God, you're not going to believe what you're going to see." I remember you, and then you went to the grand opening, like oh. the, the, the um, for for like the, the it was like the a, opening night, the opening night, and you came back, and it was like, "It's the greatest thing." Ever. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was, and even having what because when we, when you saw it constructed, even when you saw the bridge being constructed, it wasn't like seeing the lights on in the right. bridge. I mean, it yeah. was truly. A wondrous, magnificent experience. Well, they, you know, the, these, you know, the the for one thing, when you when you get great people to work on your project, the best thing you can do is to just let them do their great stuff, mm-hmm. right? And and 
I, I don't know your, 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 your experience, but if you're in the industry, you know very well the frustration you experience from people that hire you and then you don't get to do it, right? Yeah. For any number of reasons. Sometimes, sometimes they're good reasons. But the, the point is... Um, that's don't worry, I'm we, the one who hires them and micromanages them, okay. so I have a little bit of <laughs> but, 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 but the, the sense of, um, well, I'm an executive. You know, I've been an executive for a long time now, and my, my whole thing is create that bubble. Create the bubble so the people can do their thing right. and try and fight to protect that if possible. Isolate right? them from the um, headaches. Because, right. it's, because, you know, being in that moment of creation of flow and being excited about stuff, it, it's really not clearly understood by most, you know, management people how important that is and how easy it is to break it or yep. or turn it off. And, and, and so anyways, people come with their own ideas. You came with a point of view that was so cool. All I needed to do was just to say, hey, you, you've done this. How about you just kind of think a little this way now? And the same thing with David. Instead of, instead of saying like, okay, you do this, but I want you to do this other thing over there. And I think that's, that's one thing that all of us felt in that project. We had a really great alignment on what the final goal needed to be. But also, people were allowed to do cool things. I mean, we designed all those, you know, 64 backlit acutograms, you know, on our own. So Michael Okuda reviewed them, of course, you know, David Rossi as well. But we had this guy, Peter Shearer, this designer who'd never done Star Trek stuff, but he took the language and he kind of like built it all and made it beautiful, fantastic. And Scott Moss, who designed all the other graphics in the spirit of, right? Okay. People that were just, you know, allowed, because, and my, my thing was like, okay, just, you know, put them in a room with what they need and lock the door and slate pizza under the door, just like make sure <laughs> they can just Literally. do their thing, you know? And, and, and I, th- that's shown everywhere in in that place. Well, I think that's what I mean. Of all the jobs that I've ever had in my life, and that was it went on for a long time. I might have worked on that project for a long time, and everybody, for the most part, was always. It seemed to me. I mean, I know you guys were dealing with the hell of the actual physical. You had to build things that were not never built before, right? Um, so that was a whole different. I was just in there watching material that made me happy anyway. <laughs> so I'm just putting it together, but it was a place where. Everybody who was working on like you go to that machine shop where they were building the Enterprise, and everybody who was in there was like, look what we're doing, look at how far we've yeah. got. You know, and yeah. I was like, God, this is huge, you know, and everybody was excited. And it was it was a really and Dave DeVos is like, I get to I get to go direct on a set. I, I'm gonna be on the bird of That's prey right. set. You know, and I and I just got to stand there and watch and I'm sitting there the whole time. This is the greatest <laughs> thing I've ever seen. You know, it was just Yeah, there there are moments. That you, these these things when they happen, you just have to make sure you stop. Enjoy it because yeah. it's so special, and and you remember. I mean, that's you know, you get back in that spirit later on, and it's fantastic. Yeah. Before we wrap up, I do want to ask because you alluded to this earlier. Um, you know, as traffic started to abate, um, they they realized they needed a refresh and did the Borg experience, the 4D. I mm-hmm. guess the Borg experience of 4D. Resistance is 
can you sort of tell me about what it was like retrofitting the attraction to right. incorporate that and you know if that was as satisfying and you know I actually I remember I'm not a Voyager fan mm-hmm. and, and I you know I begrudgingly went I think it was with you to to it I thought it was fantastic it was fun. yeah it was a lot of fun I, it I was love a, when it they was a good show you and you know uh, I think well I didn't work on it very much all I did was uh, because I I had gotten at a different job at the time and I couldn't work on it anymore um, but um, I laid it out and worked with Paramount to kind of just set it up and after that they produced it I thought it t- turned out pretty well and I think that you know in terms of creating a, the sense of a big spaceship and everything I mean I, des- I designed all, all those things so and the way it was executed was pretty well. I, I thought it went pretty, you know, pretty good. The the film was satisfying. Yeah. Um, you know, I think the pre-show could have been stronger. It was a little static. Right. Um, but it was it was also done for not very much money. Yeah, so there's that. The lecture um, but scratch, it was great yeah. that they were, they were doing a second ex- experience because that was going to draw more people. So that's very important. Exactly. I mean, if there's anything we know about attractions is you have to continue to renew. You, it's right. not enough to just let something sit still for 20 years. It's not going to work, you know. Unless it's Star Tours. Well, it was been, twenty years before they were, few, you know, No, it has, but those first twenty years, yeah. it was Star Tours d- didn't get refreshed, and, right. and it was still yeah. you never got enough of it. But right? you know, in a way, in a way, Star, I think Star Tours also worked for the same because you're it's immersive, mm-hmm. like you're going in and and, and they you, don't break the fourth wall. They don't break right. the fourth wall, and right. and I think that was the the. You've already got, like you said, people go into these events, or these attractions, wanting to love them. Right. It's not like when you sit down and watch a movie and go, I hope this movie is good. Yeah. You know, when you go <laughs> right. into these theme park yeah. attractions, because every little detail suddenly yeah. is right. important. You're going to be entertained right. and have you a want to be time. a part of it. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think that Star Trek The Experience was one of those things where everything about it, from the time you, even mm-hmm. when you first walked in, before you even mm-hmm. got into the queue, right. when you saw the models hanging yeah. and you saw these videos playing and you could see that here was Quark's bar it, it immediately there was some right. even the way it was lit like you talked yeah. early on about lighting and how right. that's so important the Star Trek experience was really well lit yeah so that was uh, Ted Ferrer and uh, you know Michael K- uh, Finney early on but Ted Ferrer was really great li- great lighting designer th- went through the whole thing and when you talk about making the bridge feel like the bridge mm-hmm. and you don't have those you know, racks of light overhead or ways. It had to kind of sort of look and feel like, but by really hiding the light sources and by really kind of, you know, uh, we couldn't have, you know, theatrical fixtures showing up anywhere. So it was all indirectly light. It was all built into coves and this and that. We kind of had to sort of imagine what it would be like to build it for the real thing, right? Right. Sort of. Um, And I think that that was, you know, the the scene shop that did all that was Scenic uh, Technologies. And they did such a fantastic job. Pete Menching, they they, they killed themselves to make that. A lot of this stuff is made out of wood or, you know, was made out of wood. It was just kind of early days of computer cutting where they would actually print stuff. Uh, and then just kind of assemble it afterwards. Very, yeah, a lot of challenges, but so much fun. I think the only thing that could ever top that is, uh, you know, there had been talk what, five, ten years ago about building a life-size replica of the Enterprise. Well, Gary, the park yeah, attraction. They, they were doing yeah. that too. That was that's, that was that's yeah. pretty bonkers. That's that out there, crazy. but it's good. Yeah. Well, listen, I, I, we could talk so to you for another fun. hour, but uh, this you. is amazing, Luke, and thank you so much for joining us today and and sharing your stories. And Rob, it's it's great to hear your stories from the Star Trek experience days because I know Darren and I have heard them, but America hasn't. <laughs> uh, so uh, it's well, awesome. I want to thank you for giving me the opportunity. To kind of get back in this and 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 just kind of share you know the the stories, but I, you know, this is some of the best times that I can recall ever. And and uh, I actually brought some little 
little souvenirs, some little stickers from the experience that I can leave with you. Well, we should also, you know, um, (laughs) you'd mentioned you alluded to some of the uh, sketches and stuff. Uh, Maybe we can put them out through our social channels and Inglorious Trek and Inglorious uh, Trek experts on Instagram to just share some stuff from the Star Trek experience. Yeah, I could probably put a few Um, things in. I think that would be super. Lovely. I want to thank Luke, who was a fantastic guest, and thank you for being a fantastic audience uh, (laughs) over uh, across the... uh, the uh, the stream the crossing the streams the podscape <laughs> and uh, I want to remind you you may want to check out Electric Surge's other podcasts like the 4:30 movie every Friday where a group of uh, writer and producers curate fantasy theme weeks the Rebel and the Rogue a Star Wars podcast every Tuesday and of course best movies never made about the best movies never made uh, which is a fantastic <laughs> podcast uh, which uh, drops every other Monday so if you enjoyed this podcast please rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts or you can follow us at Inglorious Trek or Inglorious Trek Experts on Instagram. And as always, a very special thanks to Bill Ritter and everyone here at Electric Surge Network, producers Natalie Miscali and Cynthia Hodge, of course, and Dean Devlin, without whom the show would not be possible or we would be sitting here in the dark. So uh, (laughs) having these conversations over drinks instead of across the uh, podcast sphere. Uh, So uh, until next Saturday, keep on trekking and gloriously, of course. Engage. This show is produced by Dean Devlin and Mark A. Altman and is an Electric Surge Network production.